So blue packaging is really a way of saying we are committed to protecting the planet as much as we can with our products. Welcome to Scaling Global, which features stories from business leaders who have successfully expanded to an international market. Going global is an exciting change for any business owner, but sometimes the challenges of doing so can feel insurmountable. I'm your host, Christina Wallace. I'm an entrepreneur and the vice president of growth at Bionic, a company that builds startup ecosystems inside large enterprises. Each episode, hear from the influencers and decision makers who have turned their domestic companies into global powerhouses. Each week, you'll hear intimate conversations with business leaders across a variety of industries. They will explain how their companies expanded internationally, including what steps worked and which didn't, and share tips on how you can grow your company globally. Scaling Global is produced by Slate Group Studios in partnership with HSBC. Wherever your business goes, your bank should be there. HSBC has global relationship managers on the ground in over 60 countries, connecting businesses to opportunities. You can learn more about how HSBC can support your business at home and abroad by going to us.hsbc.com. Plastic and sustainability. Those are two words that don't normally go together. But for global manufacturer Griner Packaging, an eco-friendly company has been great for business. Today, David Kirkland, president of Griner Packaging USA, joins me with more. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks very much for having us. It's exciting to come here and be able to share a little bit from uh, for myself and for Griner Packaging. So um, let's start at the top. In 2003, you graduated from high school on a Thursday and then went to work for Griner the following Monday. You started off as an apprentice, and now 14 years later, you're the president of Griner Packaging USA. That's a pretty incredible story. So what drew you to Griner? Tell me about that journey up the corporate ladder. Yeah, it is quite an, an interesting journey and a, and a good story to tell. For myself, when I was leaving school, Griner really had a great reputation as an attractive employer in my local area. You know, they were really renowned for being a company that gave good opportunity and growth potential. So right, right from the start, it was attractive for me, and it really was an excellent two-way relationship right from day one. You know, but like most journeys, upwards is never easy. It, it was really challenging at times. But at the same time, I have to say, I enjoyed it the whole way through. I enjoyed my climb through the company. So we can tell from your accent um, that you are not necessarily from the U.S. And we know that Greiner is actually a European company. It was founded in the late 1800s in Germany and then Austria. So where did, where did you start? I started in Northern Ireland, actually United Kingdom, mm-hmm. a small little town called Dungannon. And that is the base of Greiner Packaging UK. And that really serves the UK market primarily. Um, so a bit of an Irish twang in there. Yeah, it's just a little bit different. Um, I don't know what give it away for you, to be honest. <laughs> so we know that Griner has always been 100% family owned. What is the company manufacture? In, in the Griner group itself, uh, it's actually split into four divisions. So we have Griner Packaging International, which is part of the division which I'm in, um, primarily focused on yogurt packaging and the dairy industry, food packaging in general. We have Griner Bio One, which um, serve the medical industry. They produce products such as Petri dishes, blood collection vials. We have Griner Foam International, which produce specialized foam. So for example, a lot of their products make it into airplane seating and high-end mattresses even. And then lastly, we have Griner Extrusion Group, and they are focused on profile extrusion um, tools and some production as well. So it's really quite a diverse product range we have across the four different divisions in the Griner Holding Group. 
So speaking of being all over the world, Griner has about 130 locations in 19 countries. Can you tell me a little bit about how the company grew globally? Why were those locations chosen and how do they work together? Each location has an importance um, of some relevance. Maybe, for example, a new market opened up and it was time there was a decision to expand into that area. Maybe it was a result of an acquisition. Let's not forget some of these sites, especially the Central European sites, which is in the homelands, let's say, date right back to the early days in the 1800, late 1800s. So maybe the decision to have that site 100 and almost 50 years ago has changed a little bit, but it's still there for historical reasons. Um, these locations, you know, 130 plus sites are ultimately controlled under the umbrella of Greiner Holding. That's that's the mother company. Um, Greiner Holding provides really, really mm-hmm. good leadership and direction for all of our expansion process. And that's one of the main benefits of Greiner being a family-owned company. That's really impressive. So... When did Griner come to the U.S. and why packaging in the U.S.? Interesting story. Well, Griner packaging came to America for different reasons. Firstly, it was time to globalize. We were really present on the European market. We are one of the leaders for sure in the European market. So it was really hard to get that further expansion um, for us. So it was time to look outside the box a little bit. So we made a lot of research and looked at different countries here and there. And America came out on top. The American market, of course, you know, it's, it's really interesting for us. It's number one, it's the biggest economy in the world. Um, with that, you get massive opportunity. The market really fits perfect to our product and our prog- product ranges in many ways. You know, America mm-hmm. being such a developed country, so much like Europe, it was almost just a natural fit to say, you know what, let's let's get a go at uh, packaging over in the USA. So Griner Packaging in the USA opened its doors in 2014 in Pittston, Pennsylvania. Since then, we've really enjoyed good growth year and year, and we're excited about the years to come. I have to say that the future looks looks good for us. So your company is very eco-friendly. In fact, Griner uses the term blue packaging to describe its products. Can you tell us what that means? Blue packaging, um, yeah. Well, the name itself comes from the planet. You know, about 70% of the planet we're on is water. So when you're looking at it from afar, it's known as the blue planet. Mm-hmm. So blue packaging is really a way of saying we are committed to protecting the planet as much as we can with our products. You know, we have a group-wide sustainability strategy called Plastics for Life. Plastics, if used properly, can be a sustainable material. For example, it's a, it's a good material for recycling. We are actively working on how to ensure more plastic gets into the recycling stream instead of landfill. Uh, plastic is more eco-friendly than other materials such as glass or aluminium. When plastic really? is yeah, of course, when plastic is used properly, it can be a good substitute for those mentioned high carbon footprint materials. So I'll give you a few examples. Um, plastic coffee pods instead of aluminium coffee pods, or plastic yogurt cups instead of glass yogurt cups, and that's why we really believe in plastics for life. Because if plastics are used properly and get into the good recycling streams, they really can be a sustainable material long term. I've heard your plants recycle energy and reuse energy from the machines. Can you tell me more how that works? Yeah, that's that's an interesting topic and quite honestly one of my personal favorites. Maybe what I didn't mention earlier on, I started in the company as an engineer. So I am still have a little bit of a place in my heart for an engineer inside of the business. It's not just about you know those eco containers. You have to remember that to be that environmentally friendly company, it's not just your product, it's how you go about making it and what you do along the process. So. 
Good examples is when you're extruding and manufacturing plastic, I'm sure everybody's aware, there's a lot of heat generated in the process. And what we do is we take that heat and we recycle it back into the building. We cut out all of, like so for example, gas and oil, and we use that warm air and warm water, which is generated through the process to heat the building itself. So in our UK plant where I'm from, we have cut out oil heating 100%. In wow. Pittston, Pennsylvania, we have cut out our gas um, heating by 90%. And in Switzerland, they have cut out uh, oil and gas heating by 100%. And actually what's interesting in Switzerland and one of our plants is that they have so much heat, they actually pump it into the field next door and the farmer next door can grow his asparagus ahead of the ahead <laughs> of season. So yeah, it's, it's simple, but you know what? If you have energy, why waste it? Why not put it back into good use? Okay, it's a little bit of investment on our side and a little bit of a commitment, but that's what our company is about. We are committed to doing the right things sustainably and the right things for the environment. That's awesome. In addition to doing the right thing for the environment, do you find that being eco-friendly is a competitive advantage on the sales side? Have you seen greater traction from that positioning? <laughs> yes and no. Um, I want to answer that question a little bit differently in the sense that it's not a sales tool for us and it's not something we do just to boost our sales. We do it because we believe in it. Okay, maybe we have a little bit of sales traction as a result, but we firmly believe in, in that sustainability concept and that, that, that whole methodology in general. I think that's where a lot of people, not just in, in our competitors, our industry, a lot of people in general, they hear these new modern terms like sustainability and carbon footprint and they want to jump on the wagon and say, oh, we can do that. But you know what? You have to believe in it. It has to be a core center of your company to make that happen long term. So. Yes, we probably do have a little bit of a sales advantage out of it, but that's not actually the reason why we do it. So we hear a lot about sustainability in the supply chain. And as you think about local partners and other suppliers, do you look for partners that hold those same values that you do? And if so, how do you how do you actually do that? What is the the methodology that you think about when you're evaluating potential partners? Yeah, of course, as a company ourselves we our core belief is in sustainability we have to act responsibly in the supply chain as well not just in grinder packaging so if you really take upstream our raw material suppliers for example um, we, we do put energy into making sure that that they have the same concept as us or the same beliefs and it's not always easy you know the best way of course is to do audits with them um, to really not just to go out and buy the cheapest material necessarily every single time you've, you've got to have a relationship with your upstream suppliers and it's important that you know what they're doing. It's important that they understand what you want. And you know what? It's not just upstream, it's downstream as well. Um, I would honestly say that if we knew some of our products were being used in the wrong way or, for example, actively being promoted to go to landfill, we wouldn't be satisfied with that because that would be negligent on our side. We have to ensure that the supply chain right from start to finish, as much as we can control, falls into that sustainability groove as well. It's easier said than done, of course, because a lot of, let, let's face it, a lot of what we do all comes down to price. Mm -hmm. And when you have a cutthroat market and you're trying to find a single cent in manufacturing, it's quite easy one day just to say, you know what, I'll go to a different supplier because it's one cent per kilo yeah. cheaper to buy that material. But that's not responsible for our company to do such an activity. And it's really, really important that we, we do the right and we buy the right things in the right places because I think it'd be a very poor message for us to send out that we want to create this sustainable packaging and this eco-friendly as possible, uh, this plastic packaging, um, then we buy our raw materials from the worst source possible. It just makes no sense whatsoever. What advice would you give another manufacturing company that wants to create a more sustainable product, but maybe is earlier in the process than you guys are? 
again, I think I've said it before, but the advice that I would give is that you have to believe in it. Don't do it to think that you're just going to get good sales out of it because if you're not committed to it and you don't want to do it for the long term, it won't last and it won't be sustainable internally. So first of all, you have to believe in it. You have to really get into the concept of, of that sustainability side and you know really start to think about the environment. So yeah, it's, it's a core belief and that's the advice I would give to anybody. Don't do it because you think it's going to improve your sales. Do it because you want to do it. That's great advice. Have you seen any challenges in building foreign distribution or production centers beyond just the packaging division? <laughs> that's that's a good question. To be honest, it's not something which I'm specialized in. Of course, I am mainly focused on the packaging side, but I can tell you as well that the other divisions are mm-hmm. rapidly expanding. I know that there's been some acquisitions across the globe as well. There's been recent um, you know, support center sales offices opened up in Asia, in China. So in general, as a, as a rule, outside of packaging, all the divisions are rapidly growing. Uh, this globalization vision that we have, it's it's really going strong and we're happy with, with how things are going in general. How do you guys work with local partners? Local partners is important. Even though we're a global company, I think working in your local region is essential. You have to think of, for example, the value stream. You know, does it really make sense to bring materials in from halfway around the world for a few cents cheaper whenever you can have a quicker lead time, you know, support the local community, number one. Um, you have to build that rapport that with, with your local partners. Um, and believe it or not, even in today, in 2017, what's important as well and what's core for Griner is quality. It's one of our core beliefs is that we must deliver a quality product. Um, and you really get that quality whenever you know your suppliers, whenever you know your your banking partners, when you know your real, the whole network that you need to run a business. When that's managed locally and you have local contacts, then business is much easier to run and much easier to deliver a, a good product in the end. Tell me about your relationship with HSBC. How has HSBC helped your company go global? And why is that partnership important? Well, Griner has a global relationship with HSBC, of course. It's essential to have that global banking partner that understands the company's requirements around the world. To have a partner that has a presence globally and not only here in the US, that provides Griner with access to a wide range of options and solutions for capital financing, for example, um, you know, including debt and equity that works seamlessly throughout our corporation, from our holding corporation in Austria right here to our division in Pitson. To understand not only the global needs, but domestic needs as well. Um, it's, it's essential for our growth now and in the future. And you mentioned in the previous question about that local partner. I think that's one of the things which we enjoy with HSBC. They are, of course, a global power. But on the same time, we have that local relationship to the people that, that's close by as well. So it really provides a great solution for us overall. So what do you think is the future of sustainable products? Yeah, it's, it's a hard one to know, um, and I almost need my crystal ball for that one. I, I think, <laughs> personally, we believe that sustainability is not slowing down. If anything, it's just going to get faster and faster. And I really believe that the world is waking up to the sustainability requirement and commitment that we all should have. So I think more and more you're going to see a drive into the sustainable world, not just not just about our products, but how we manufacture those products you know how we recycle those products downstream Um, sustainability for us each year is becoming more and more important and we are putting more and more energy into developing new products in the market for sustainability you know trying to think of energy how can we make things better 
it's like I said, we're committed to it. It's not a it's not a gimmick for us. It's not a sales tool that we just go out on our first page of our sales presentations. It's something which we really believe in and anybody that visits our plants you can see that from you walking in the door we we are really sustainability conscious and that's only going to get stronger moving forward so what's next for griner packaging in the u.s and globally what's next for you <laughs> yeah um griner packaging itself i don't think we have any intention of slowing down um, we have a global vision and we will continue to to proceed with that vision um, I, I don't want to give too much away but all i can say is that we are looking forward to our continued growth in USA and parallel to that we will look towards our global expansion at the same time. Thanks so much for joining me today, David. Thank you very much. I'm now joined by Daniela Mengi, Senior Relationship Manager at HSBC, who will give us an even deeper look into what it takes to create a global business and provide some perspective on the themes we've been discussing today. Daniela, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Christina. So the story of David Kirkland and Griner it's not so much a story about getting set up across the world as it is finding a new competitive advantage to fuel global growth. How often do you see that happening? I specialize in international subsidiary banking, so all of my clients in the U.S. are subsidiaries of our large clients abroad. Mm -hmm. So they might have been here for many decades or some of them have just entered the U.S. market and are startups. So I think companies have to look deep inside and figure out what are their key strengths before they go into any new market. So with Griner packaging is amazing that sustainability is such a core principle for them. And in this moment in the U.S. market was perfect given the food industry that they are getting into that there is so much in sustainability conversations, conferences, everyone really trying to wake up to something that is really uh, important to not only our country, for our earth. So I think they picked a very good moment by looking at themselves, what were their key strengths, looking at this market that was really ready for what they had to offer. One of the keys to doing good business abroad is having an understanding of what will work in that particular market. And in Griner's case, that was moving to a sustainable product. However, we just heard David Kirkland say, don't do it because you think it's going to improve sales. Doesn't that seem counterintuitive? What do you think he meant by that? I actually don't think it's counterintuitive because I think if you don't believe in something strongly, it's just not going to be there for the long run. So with any big projects that companies try to do, unless there is a, a true belief and leadership really is behind it for not only the short run, but for the long run, um, I think it won't survive. So in, he, in this case specifically, some investments in sustainability might not be necessarily a clear uh, cash flow positive project like other things a company might do. Rather, I think companies need to think about it almost as a budget for giving back to their communities, for their environment, the same way they do with other pro bono strategies. So I think what he means, and I, I, I believe in that as well, it has to be a core principle and companies just need to really think about it, how to make sustainability a part of their business overall, not only how they produce, but also who they buy it from. Uh, so engaging their supply chain in it when they sell the same idea. And he said that if he saw all his packagings in the landfill, maybe he would be thinking how they're going to distribute the products and, and why that is happening. So. In this case specifically, it's an overall strategy that has to be uh, bought by all the leadership in a company so that it will be really there for the long run. 
In Griner's case, the green pivot worked beautifully. But the cost of a change like that is not insignificant. How are you supposed to know if an investment of that magnitude is good or bad for your business? And at what point should you be thinking about making that jump? Again, I think it goes back to making it part of your core strategy. At a certain point, it might become part of the mission of companies to really do every next investment strategy, also thinking about the sustainability effects that that project's going to have, correct? So it can be things that can start really small just by changing policies of like printing paper in the office Mm -hmm. to then becoming more creative. Like Mm -hmm. I love the asparagus situation where your heat not only functions as, (laughs) you know, heating your people upstairs, but there is leftover energy, you know, give the heat to the farmer next door uh, to grow asparagus. So there is not one solution, but with creativity, I think companies can do so much to change even the smallest of their business operations to make a change into a more sustainable business. Mm-hmm. Do you anticipate more companies doing the same thing as Griner, using sustainability in order to win market share in new parts of the world? Absolutely. Even though they might not do that for those reasons, some, some companies might. Some companies might see that more strategically. Either way is good for mm-hmm. the earth. <laughs> uh, so I absolutely mm-hmm. believe this is a, a, a movement that is here to stay. HSBC is also very committed to this. And I think our responsibility, because we can do that, we are everywhere in the world. We deal with clients in every single industry. HSBC can be an agent of amplification because by hearing to all of these amazing stories from our clients, we can share that. We can connect clients that are equally passionate about sustainability and have an impact. And I think a lot of more good stories are yet to come. David Kirkland mentioned that it's essential to have a global banking partner that understands the company's requirements around the world. What does he mean by that? And what specifically does HSBC do to help companies like Griner succeed abroad? For my clients, it's really important that we pair them up in the local markets with people that understand that market, that speak that language, that know the regulatory environment, what products can be done or cannot be done in the banking uh, sector. So I think for Griner and for all of my clients, having the ability to offer that in their local markets, also have someone taking care of them at headquarters that understand their overall strategy. For international subsidiaries, especially when they're entering a new market, it's crucial to have a local banking partner that knows them, not only from that country, but from headquarter level as well. So I don't look at Griner Packaging U.S. Mm -hmm. as a standalone company. I look at them as a global client of HSBC. And I think for David, that's very helpful because he gets a very robust level of products and services here in the U.S., despite the fact that they are still a startup in the U.S., but they are huge client abroad. So if he arrived here and he had a bank that maybe didn't know them from abroad, he would have a very different level of services. With us, we are looking at him globally, but with the local expertise and providing him with a very robust team and services in his local market. So he appreciates that a lot. Daniela, thanks so much for coming. Thank you for having me, Christina. That's all for this episode of Scaling Global. In an upcoming episode, we talk to the global chairman of an international law firm who helps individuals and companies navigate global regulations. And he'll share which countries right now are your best bet for expansion. Scaling Global is produced by Slate Group Studios in partnership with HSBC. Thanks again to David Kirkland, president of Griner Packaging USA. 
To hear more stories from business leaders who have successfully expanded to an international market, subscribe to Scaling Global wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Christina Wallace. Thanks for listening. In the United States, deposit products are offered by HSBC Bank USA NA, member FDIC.